0: Welcome to the Faith to You podcast. We're continuing our series where we try to answer the question, "I'm saved." Now what? This is part 13, and we're walking through Romans chapter 8. Today we're going to look at verses 31 through 37. Starts with this. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him, grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Have you ever competed on a team or maybe coached a team where you had a ringer? Do you know what that means? Uh, A ringer is an athlete that you have on your team that's so good, they give you an advantage. They give you a dominating advantage over every other team. I've I've had a couple of athletes who are just standout, natural talent, where um, as a cross-country coach, I knew going in every race, I was guaranteed a first place finish with that first runner. Um, But here's what's interesting. In cross country, it's scored based on your first five finishers. So if my first place runner automatically got first, but my next four didn't do so great, I didn't always win. You know, Jesus Christ, with with Jesus Christ, we always win. We are guaranteed victory. Jesus isn't just a, a ringer that we have on our side. He is victorious always. He never loses. He's more than a conqueror. And you know what that means? That means that with him, we are more than conquerors. He doesn't just give us an advantage. He gives us victory every single time. And why is that? It's because no one stands a chance against God. Now, in looking at Romans chapter 8, if you remember our last session, the context here is this unbreakable chain of salvation. And so when he talks about the reality of nobody being able to stand against us, what he's talking about is nobody can stand against the salvation that God is working in your life. Nobody can stop what God is Doing. Whom he foreknew, he predestined. Whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. Whom he justified, he glorified. He is going to do that. He is going to get this done. Do you believe that? Are you confident of that? You know, Paul wants us to have that kind of confidence in our salvation. And and one of the ways that he teaches to have that confidence in our salvation is by the confidence he has in other believers' salvation. You know, sometimes you can look at yourself and you can think, well, you know, that's easy for you to say. You can have that confidence, but I can't. Paul didn't just have confidence in his own salvation. He had confidence in those in the church. He had confidence that God was going to finish what he started. Let, let me read to you guys a few passages where Paul speaks about the confidence that he has in what God is doing in the lives of those individuals within the churches. Um, one of those is in 2 Corinthians 2.3. He says this, I wrote this very thing so that when I come, I wouldn't have any pain from those who ought to give me joy. Because I'm confident about all of you, that my joy will also be yours. I rejoice that I have complete confidence in you. That first verse I read was 2 Corinthians 2:3, and then I skipped to 2 Corinthians 7:16. He rejoices that he has complete confidence in them. He's confident that his joy will be theirs also. Now understand what he's saying. He's saying, I'm writing to sort of warn you guys, I'm coming. And you haven't been living out the full Christian life that I taught you to live. But I'm confident that when I come, it's going to be a joyful reunion. And now understand this. Paul's not confident in man. He's confident in God. He's confident in the work of God in the hearts of of those he's preached the gospel to. Why? Because he knows what God starts, God finishes. He says it this way in Galatians 5.10, I am persuaded in the Lord you will not accept any other view. But whoever it is that is confusing you will pay the penalty. Now, now, what's interesting about Galatians is he says, I'm persuaded in the Lord you will not accept any other view. Throughout Galatians, he's been reprimanding them. He's been correcting them. He's been even expressing some doubt about some of them. But he says, at the end of the day, I'm confident that you're not going to accept any view that's contrary to sound doctrine. I'm confident of that in you. Even though right now you're going through a rocky time, even though right now you're going through a trial, even though right now some of you are rebelling against God, I'm confident you're not going to accept any other view. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 4, he says this, We have confidence in the Lord about you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Paul has confidence, not in people, but in God's work in them. You remember Jesus in his earthly ministry? It says that one of the reasons he didn't let the people make him king was because he understood what was in the heart of man. He didn't entrust himself to them because he didn't trust them. We're not supposed to trust people, but we are supposed to be confident in the work that God is doing in others. And we're certainly supposed to be confident of the work that he's doing in us. This is why Paul says this in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work in you or carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Are you confident of that? Are you confident that God's gonna finish what he started? Romans 15, 14, he says it this way. My brothers and sisters, I myself am convinced about you that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. Wow, that's some amazing confidence that he has in the individuals within the church, filled with knowledge, able to instruct. Why is is he confident that they're full of goodness? How can he say that about human beings? Because he knows who lives within them. He knows who saves them, and he knows the one who saves them. It will be faithful to ultimately glorify them, to finish what he started. I love the confidence that he expresses in Philemon. In Philemon, as he's writing to this, to this man who he's sending his slave back to, and he's saying, you need to do the right thing. You need to set this slave free. You shouldn't be having a slave. You shouldn't be holding a brother in Christ as a slave. He says this to him in Philippians, in Philemon 121, i I'm confident of your obedience, and that's why I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul says, I'm, I'm challenging you to do the right thing, but I'm confident that you will. We should have confidence in others, because we know that what God has started, God will finish. No one can stand against the work that God is doing. With Jesus, we will be victorious, but we should also have confidence in the work that he's doing in our own lives. This is why the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10:35. so don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you need endurance so that after you've done God's will, you may receive what was promised. You need to Hold on to your confidence because this is what's going to give you the strength and the energy that you need to endure when you're going through trials, when you're, when you're coming up against obstacles that challenge your confidence. Now, the reason that Paul is confident of this and that we should have confidence in this is because of the sacrifice, the extravagant sacrifice God made to save us. It says in verse 32, he did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? That the testimony to the unstoppable work of God is the incomprehensible sacrifice of his son. If he didn't spare his own son, why are you disbelieving right now that he can finish what he started? Why are you disbelieving that he's going to give you what you need in order to endure? Don't doubt that you have everything you need to make it through whatever you're going through. 2 Peter 1.3 says it this way, His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness through the knowledge of whom he called us by his own glory and goodness. His divine power has given us what? Everything required for life and godliness. I don't know what trial you're going through right now. I don't know what obstacle you're facing. I don't know what's pushing against you, but I can be confident of this. You have what you need. And if you're in Christ You're going to make it through. This is the confidence that we have. And why is that? 1 John 5, 1 John 5, 4 says it this way. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Do you believe that he's providing you salvation, sanctification, glorification? Do you believe that he's working those in your life then hold on to your confidence because in him you will conquer the world. He's already won. He's already overcome. You know, one of the biggest attacks on our faith is the accusation of Satan. Satan's called in Revelation 12:10, the accuser of the brethren. It says, the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. One day he's going to be thrown down. That happens in the future. Hasn't happened yet. He's still accusing us before God. But what does Paul remind us of? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised. He also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Paul understands the biggest obstacle to our confidence is this accuser that we know that what Satan can accuse us of before God is true. We do sin. We do fall short. We, we do fail. And he can take those things, and he sees all of them. Well, he doesn't see all of them, but he sees many of them. And he can see sometimes some of those, those inner thoughts and those struggles that we have, and he can see some of those failures. And if he can't, then, then demons can. We, have, we are in a spiritual battle, and the enemy is aware of the things that we do. You can see when he goes before God with Job that he knows about Job. And so I want you to understand this, that the one who's accusing us before God, the reason he doesn't have any ammunition is not because you're good, but because God is. And God is the one who justifies. God didn't justify you because of your works. He justified you because of Christ's works. It's not by works of righteousness which I have done, but according to his mercy that he saved us. And not only can he not, can he not, accuse me, but he can't condemn me. That's what he says in verse 34. Why can he not condemn us? Well, Romans 8.1, we saw that at the very beginning of this chapter, because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. Why? Because nobody can bring a word against Jesus. Nobody can accuse him of wrongdoing. And in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. But where does Paul go? He says, Christ is the one who died. More than that has been raised and also is the right hand of God and intercedes for us. When want you think about that. Why is it that because Jesus died, Jesus was raised, and Jesus the right hand of God, that there's no condemnation? Well, because I die with Christ. As a new creation, I die with Christ and I raise up to new life with him. I'm a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. And now, Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. He's at the right hand of God and he intercedes for us. Nobody can bring an accusation against me. Why? Because Jesus is on my side, which means no one can stand against what he is doing. He will rescue me. He will provide for me. He will sustain me. He will save me. And ultimately he will glorify me. He will do it all. And I can be confident in him. Now, what's interesting is Satan doesn't just go to God and accuse the brethren, but he even attacks us. He attacks us with lies. Lies is his native tongue. That's what he speaks. And so that's why the next place that Paul goes is the love of Christ. He says, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? See, one of one of Satan's favorite ploys is not just to accuse us before God, but to accuse God before us. And you might think, well, I would never listen to that. Well, Adam and Eve did. Think about it. This is where Satan starts. He starts by saying, oh, well, God knows that you're going to be like him. God's keeping something good back from you. And that's one of, the, one of the problems that we face in the world is thinking that God's keeping some sort of good back from us. So there's something that we need or something that we desire that God's not letting us have. And that's why when we're going through persecutions or famine or distress or nakedness or danger or sword, we can doubt God's love in those moments. And what does Paul say? He says, those don't separate you from God's love. Don't open up yourself to The one who speaks lies, the one who's trying to convince you God doesn't love you. If God loved you, he wouldn't let you go through this trial. If God loved you, he wouldn't let you lose that loved one. If God loved you, he wouldn't let the world stand against you in this way. Those are lies, and they're based on a lie that our culture is constantly trying to sell us. And the lie is this, is that good in the world equals pleasure, comfort, and ease. That that we have this inalienable right for what? that to pursue happiness. And so what that means is that we as Americans especially measure what's good by what's pleasurable. Am I enjoying my life? Then life is good. What's good? God is good. What's good? Being in relationship with him. You know, sometimes the sweetest moments in your life, the greatest good in your life can come in the middle of a tragedy Because in those moments, you can be so close to God, so much closer to him than you've ever been before. Goodness does not mean a life devoid of hardship. Goodness means a life in union with Christ. Now, we need to grow in our confidence. There's nothing that we can endure that means God doesn't love us. There's nothing that we can endure that means I've been separated from God's love see one of the problems is is oftentimes we're defining good based on temporary circumstances and i'm not saying that when we're in pain and we're experiencing chronic pain or we're experiencing tragic loss that we should look at that and smile and say this is great but we need to define good as what is ultimate and ultimately we're going to be with the lord forever ultimately he's going to wipe away every tears ultimately we're going to enjoy him Pleasures at his right hand forevermore. That's what you long for. That's what you're looking forward to. And, and these slight and momentary afflictions are just preparing a far greater weight of glory. And so, slight and momentary afflictions are not bad in and of themselves. They don't mean that I'm being separated from God's love, rather, they help me to hope in what is eternal, in God's providence. God will take care of me. God will give me what I need. And he will provide entrance into his kingdom forever. And I don't need to doubt that when I'm going through pain. God is still working good for me. Don't doubt his goodness. Look at verse 36. As it is written, because of you were being put to death all day long, we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. How do we conquer? Through him who loved us. It is our rock solid confidence in the love of God that allows us to endure any trial that comes our way. Why is that? Because our confidence results in the conclusion, this trial changes nothing about God's love for me. I am absolutely confident that God still loves me even though this hurts, even though I'm in pain, even though I'm weeping and I'm heartbroken. I know whom I have believed in. I know who loves me and my rock solid confidence in his love will not be shaken by the trials of this life. It's that confidence in his love that allows us to endure the trials. And in all these things, what does he say? We're more than conquerors. This is the life that we're called to as new creations, as those who've entrusted our lives to Christ. But will you walk in confidence today? Confidence in God's ultimate providence. Confidence that any trial that comes your way does not mean God does not love you. God loves you. He will work all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. And that's a confidence you can take into every single trial. God still loves you. He never stopped loving you and he never will. And he'll finish what he started. And that's what gives you the confidence that you need to endure the trials. Thank you so much for listening to me today.